Didn't the girls sound grand this morning? Yeah. Kudos to the girls, um, even when I don't come in at the right time. They always cover for me quite well. As you heard, we're in the book of Jude. I hope you have your Bibles open to the book of Jude. It's the next to last book in the Bible, right before the Revelation. So I hope you have your Bible open. We'll be getting to the text in just a moment. As I was studying the book of Jude this week, I was wondering to myself how many churches these days would dare preach through this book, especially on a verse-by-verse -verse basis. And I'm guessing very, 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 very few. I mean, you're three words into the book and you're already dealing with the narrow road. I like how Brad's always talking about the narrow road. Now, if we're Bible believers, we understand it is a narrow road, right? It's not the broad road. It's the narrow road. Jude calls himself a bondservant. We talked about this. The Greek word is doulos. It means slave. Most translations will use the word servant. Every time doulos is used in the Bible, almost every time, the word servant is translated uh, there. And MacArthur calls this uh, the great cover-up. He says this is a huge mistranslation. And if you actually go to the Net Bible, which is Brad's favorite, and he's the Greek scholar, so I defer to him on this, that the, the word is slave. The word is slave. This has created a lot of confusion in the church regarding True conversion. I can just be a nominal church member and call myself a Christian. No, not according to the Bible. The Bible says Christians are what? Slaves. Do you have any misunderstanding about this? If you have any misunderstanding, please come talk to me. If you call yourself a Christian, you are a slave to Christ. You're not a churchgoer when it's convenient, simply. You are a slave to Christ. It's what the text is saying over and over and over throughout the New Testament. Yes, for sure, a servant has a significant obligation to the master, but a slave has an absolute obligation, non-negotiable obligation to the master. When the Holy Spirit uses the Greek word doulos in the Bible, he's talking about Christians. He's talking about you and me, if you know Christ this morning, it is the narrow way. Matthew 7, you can refer to it at your leisure. And I'm just going to stop and ask you right now, are you a slave of Christ? Are you? Do you consider yourself? Do you consider yourself a slave of Christ? If you don't consider yourself a slave of Christ, you have every reason to question your profession of faith. We are doulos. We are slaves. We're not just churchgoers. We are slaves. The Holy Spirit makes this about as clear as he can make it. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Remember how he said it? Remember how he said it? You are what? You are not what? Your own. You are not your own. Some of you still believe you're your own. No, you're not your own. If you claim to be a Christian, he goes on. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God. This is your job. You're a slave. You're a slave. And every day we wake up, we're giving ourselves to the Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, guide me, lead me. 
I'm your slave. Use me today in the way that you want to use me. I submit my whole life to you. You know, I know that's not what the average minister tells you when you inquire about becoming a Christian. But that's how the triune God talks about it. It's a narrow way. You and I are called into slavery. Slavery into what? Righteousness. And slavery into joy. And slavery into delight. As we walk with the Lord Jesus and so there's another much despised doctrine referenced in verse 1. We talked a lot about it. The called, the loved, and the kept uh, thing. You know, it it's, uh, highlights God's absolute sovereignty and the salvation of his people. This is a doctrine that many feel is too divisive to preach. It's so hated. You're not going to believe this, but it's so hated that people will actually leave a church that preaches this biblical truth and they'll go start another one. I know it's hard to believe, but people do this. They hate this truth so much, they will not hear it. They will not tolerate it. And if they can't fire the pastor, they're out of here, right? They are out of here. And as we touched on last week, there's a, there's a good number of references here in, in Jude about the terrifying holiness and judgment of God for all who are in rebellion against Him. I'm just going to review that real quick. Verse 4 speaks of condemnation. Verse 5 speaks of destruction. Verse 6 speaks of judgment. And as we noted at length last week, verse 7 speaks of punish, the punishment of eternal fire. Verse 11 speaks of perishing. Verse 13 speaks of black Darkness forever. It is the red words again. You know what Jesus said. Fear the one who has authority to what? Cast you into hell. And we, if, if we read the Revelation, we understand. It's God who's casting his enemies into hell. He says, I do this. All those who hate me, all those who are indifferent to me, they will be cast into hell. Jesus says, yes, I tell you, fear him, Luke chapter 12. So yeah, these doctrines, we're not going to hear much of these doctrines preached in your average happy clappy. Miles said that last week and I can't get it out of my head. The happy clappy church. You're not going to hear about the narrow way. You're not going to hear about predestination and election. You're not going to hear about the damnation of sinners. You're not going to hear about it. That has been excised from your average pulpit. And if we take these things out, right, if we take some of this stuff out, some of this hard stuff out, we'll get more people. Well, we want more people. I said it to you a couple weeks ago, but not at the expense of the truth. God's glory is first in this building, in this sanctuary. God's glory is always first. God's glory is first. The crowd is second. You're second. You come second. As the word is preached, you know, you've been to some of these churches, a lot of life coaching, a lot of cheerleading, a lot of pop psychology, a lot of motivational speaking. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing that they call themselves a Christian church. We know if we've read our Bibles, God never appeals to the flesh. He never appeals to the flesh. He always bluntly reveals truth in speaking to the soul. You can see this all over the Bible. 
Um, the example that came to my mind, and I think I may have mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, is John 6. You remember the account, Jesus had just fed 5,000, probably 5,000 men, probably 15,000 people with five loaves and two fish. And they loved him, man. Free bread. It was good bread. I'm sure it was the best bread they ever ate, right from the hand of God. They liked it. Jesus went to the other side of the sea and the multitudes followed him. They followed him. You remember what they wanted? You remember what they wanted? More truth? No. More bread. We like the free bread. That's what we want. But Jesus, as always, in love, he gives them what is of eternal value, the truth of God. He says, I am the bread of life come down from heaven. He says, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. He said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will have no life. He said, no one can come to me unless it's been granted uh, to him from the Father. And the Jews grumbled and they argued and they complained. They said, this is too difficult to hear. Who can listen to it? They're out of here. You know the text, many withdrew from Christ. You know, you preach the truth. Sometimes many people withdraw. It happens. It happens. I know that you are familiar with that. Man, they love the miracles, but they hated the truth. It's your average church anymore. Don't tell me what's true. Tell me what makes me feel good about myself. Tell me how God is going to love me and bless me above any and all considerations. Doesn't really matter how I live, but tell me that. I want that. And, you know, if you won't preach it to me, I'll find a church who will preach it to me. All you got to do is go down to the corner, the other corner. They're everywhere. Everywhere. Those churches that love to pat folks on the head. The multitudes would follow him as long as he gave them what they wanted. And they quickly discarded him when he gave them God's truth. Amen? You guys have seen the rats leaving the ship. You know what it's like when the, when the, when the truth of God is preached and men won't hear it. They won't tolerate it. The crowds loved him if he performed up to their expectations as long as he, listen to this, as long as he was the God they thought he ought to be. Man, I, I've been doing this a long time. This is what you always hear. My God wouldn't do that. My God wouldn't be like that. My God does this and my God does that. Well, we know what that means. That's code for it's the God in my head. It's the God I demand, not the God of the Bible. You know, the God who, who answers yes to every fleshly, vanity-driven, self-serving prayer. I want health, wealth, and prosperity. That's the God I want. But if you actually read your Bible, you realize that's not Yahweh. Yahweh's operating on a much higher plane. Health, wealth, and prosperity. I always say it this way. Don't bore me with that. God's doing something greater. God's bringing His people into conformity, into conformity with Jesus Christ. It's infinitely greater blessing and health, wealth, and prosperity. Again, don't bore me. But many Christians, what they want is that user-friendly God who will perform for them so they can get utility out of God. You know, the rabbit's foot God, the good luck charm God. I want that God. 
who winks at my sin and is a good luck charm when I need him. That's the God I want. I want that God, the really nice big guy God I can have a beer with. That, that God. That's the God I want. Most of the modern church does not want to hear what God has to say about sin and repentance and sexuality and righteousness and selflessness and discipleship and giving and serving and sacrifice and witnessing and sovereignty and election and judgment and wrath and hell, etc., etc., etc. Do you want to hear it? Do you want to hear all that God says? Now, if you want to hear all that God says, you're in the right place. We do not, I think it was the sermon title three weeks ago, we do not edit God here. We do not omit anything God says here. You know, if the sanctuary is empty, we're not going to edit God. There's too much at stake. Too much at stake for me and for you. Karen and I were in a unique position for 20 years as an international pastor. We had about 1,000 people come through. We had about 100 nations come through from every conceivable denomination. And what we witnessed was this pervasive biblical illiteracy. People who called themselves Christians, but they had no idea what the Bible said. We saw a general, uh, a general superficiality, right? It was like <laughs> the best they could do was God's my buddy. You know, he's, he's my buddy. We saw many just wanted that cartoon Jesus, that rabbit's foot God. We got to see this a lot, and it was, it was grievous, but that was, our, that was our great joy. We held up a huge God, and some people loved him. Some people ran to him, right? They thought, man, man, you know, this life is too boring without a huge God. I need that huge God, right? I want, I want Yahweh, the God we talked about last week who does all his good pleasure and is high and holy and free. I'm going to quote John Piper here. I love this, this, this paragraph. I think I've shared it with you before. The context was the 2005 Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans. This is what he says. The church has not been spending its energy to go deep with the unfathomable God of the Bible. Against the overwhelming weight and seriousness of the Bible, much of the church is choosing to become more light and shallow and entertainment oriented. The popular church, the popular God of fun church is simply, I love this, is too small and too affable to hold a hurricane in his hand. Why the hurricane? Yahweh! That's enough! Yahweh, you don't have to apologize out in the world. My God is a sovereign God. I don't apologize for my sovereign God. The world, beloved, if you don't know, if you have questions about that, come to me. But the world is under the judgment of God. The world is under his judgment. Piper continues. The popular God of Fun Church is simply too small and too affable to hold a hurricane in his hand. The serious Bible student, I love this, discovers that the scriptures explode trivial notions about the Almighty. Let me tell you something. If you, if you come to grace very long, all the trivial notions that you hold about Yahweh will be exploded or you'll have to run. You know, it's, it's the, the title of, of, my, uh, of my devotional book, Worship or Flee. I love it. Worship or Flee, right? Worship or Flee. Worship or 
flee. I love that. Actually, my publisher came up with it. Cartoon gods are no good at all. They aren't any good in this life and certainly not the next. If you're entertaining trivial notions, then the best way I can love you is to blow them up. You know, if I'm blowing up your theology when you come in here, that's a good thing. <laughs> my theology, hey, I sit behind my desk and I work on my sermon and God's blowing me up. He blows me up all the time. I love that. Don't you want to go on with God or do you just want to stand pat? Don't you want to go on with God? I trust that you do. So these, these words not only apply to the false teacher, the words that we, we talked about earlier, the condemnation, the destruction, the judgment, the punishment, the perishing, the eternal darkness, they apply to those who follow him. Now, here's where, it, here's where it gets dicey, right? These guys are not the only ones getting judged. Those who follow these guys are, are, are damned. Those who follow these guys. It's one thing we're going to see clearly in the text as we get into it. I've said it two or three times in this series already. False teachers, pseudo-churches, and apostate denominations, they are taking millions of people to hell. They have a pseudo-Christ. They have a false gospel. And let me just read real quick. I, I shared this with you a couple of weeks ago. I love Paul's words to, to the Ephesians over in Acts 20. Um, Paul says, therefore, I testify to you that I am innocent of blood. Why are we talking about blood? Because everything's at stake. When the word of God is preached and taught, everything's at stake. Not just temporal blood, but eternal condemnation, as we talked about at length. Last week, Paul says, I didn't shrink back from declaring you the whole purpose, declaring to you the whole purpose of God. He said, I, I, I discharged my function to you. Then he warns the church, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Paul knew it would happen, right? The Holy Spirit warns us, false teachers are always in the church. Always. They're ubiquitous, especially in this modern era. So, the title of the sermon is The Portrait. The Portrait of a False Teacher. Verse 8 through 10. You heard the text read, but let's just review. Yet in the same manner, these men also by dreaming defile the flesh and reject authority and revile angelic majesties. But Michael, the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these men revile the things which they do not understand and the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals by these things, they are destroyed. What men is he talking about there in verse 8? The ones he introduced us to in verse 4, the ones who have crept into the church unnoticed, turning grace into license, and in doing so, 
denying the lordship of Jesus. Now, this is another hated doctrine in the modern church. You know, some teach that you can have Jesus as Savior, but you never have to submit to him as Lord. This is a damning lie. If he's not your Lord, he's not your Savior, okay? Now, if you have questions about that, you come talk to me. If he's not your Lord, he's certainly not your Savior. You cannot, you cannot divide him like that. Yeah. <laughs> it's what a slave is. It's, what a sla it's how a slave lives. It's how a slave talks, right? He calls his master. What does he call his master? Lord. If he's not your Lord on a daily basis, again, you have every reason to question the validity of your profession of faith. You're a slave, beloved, just like I am. We're all slaves if we are in Christ. These unnoticed guys in our day, we're talking about pastors, priests, ministers, popes, patriarchs, Bible school teachers, seminary professors, TV evangelists, faith healers. They come in all different shapes and sizes and denominational affiliations. God says these guys are like the unbelieving Exodus Jews. Verse 5, we talked about that. Now, if you, if you don't have this background, you can go out on, on the YouTube site and listen to these earlier sermons. He said, these guys are like the unbelieving Exodus Jews. I judge them, God says, verse 5. They're like the angels who abandoned their proper abode. I judge them, verse 6. They're like the rebellious Gentiles of Sodom and Gomorrah. I judge them, verse 7. You know, God never hides from his judgment if you've, if you've done an honest reading of the Bible. I, I know the average pulpit hides it, but God never hides it. He says, by this you will know that I am the Lord. By this. You will know these men were judged. Did you notice that these guys who have crept in unnoticed, they like to dream, verse 8. The King James calls them dreamers. Doesn't that sound familiar? You ever watch any television? <laughs> you, ever watch these, you ever watch these knuckleheads on TV? <laughs> False teachers need to dream a lot, man. They need new revelation. Why? Because what they're teaching can't be found in the Bible. They're always getting new revelation from God. One clear sign of a false teacher. We don't need any new revelation. We have all the revelation we need. Amen. Right here. Right here. Right here. That's all we need. I don't need a new word from God. These guys are false teachers. They're false teachers. God tells them stuff that he doesn't tell anyone else. Sounds demonic to me. I don't know about you. Again, a hallmark of a false teacher. You remember Deuteronomy 13. God says, if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and even gives a sign or wonder that comes true, then tells you something contrary to my word, what are you supposed to do with that guy? Even if the wonder was true or it, 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 it appeared to be true, what are you supposed to do with that guy? Kill him. If he says anything contrary to my word, there's, there's one sentence. Kill him. He's a false prophet. What about that sign or wonder that, 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 that appeared to be true? Well, we know Satan can, Satan can fabricate and, 
create counterfeits. We understand that. Didn't it authenticate the teacher? No, because he spoke contrary to the word of God. Deuteronomy 13, 3. Why does God do something like this to find out if you love the Lord with all your heart and all your soul? Do you love him more than you'll follow a sign? Do you love his word more than you love the fantastic sign that's demonic? He goes on. Deuteronomy 13, verse 4. What's this, what's this test about? To see if you will keep my commandments and serve me and cling to me. I love that. Cling to me. That's what the sign's about. Will you love me more than the excitement of a sign? Will you? Do you love the truth more? This is so clear, beloved. It's so clear. You know, Matthew 24, Jesus said... For false Christs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Again, the red words. 2 Corinthians 14, you remember, Paul talks about what? The angel of light? Even, even, if, even, if, they, even if the false teacher appears as, as an angel of light and he appears to you, and he tells you something contrary to the Bible, you know it's false. You know you're, you're encountering a demon here. Even if he appears as an angel of light. Just a quick review of Jeremiah 23. No need to go there. Verse 1, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter my sheep. Verse 11, Both prophet and priest are polluted, and their wickedness is in my house. Verse 14, These false teachers have led my people astray. Verse 16, The false prophets speak a vision of their own imagination. Verse 25, The prophets prophesy falsely, saying, I had a dream, I had a dream. Verse 27, the false teachers make my people forget my name by their dreams. Verse 32, I am against those who have prophesied false dreams. Colossians 2.18, let no one keep defrauding you by taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. These guys are always talking about blessings and gifts and wonders. What does all of that do? Tell me what all of that does. It takes your eye off Christ. Right? You don't hear these guys talking about the beauty and sufficiency of Christ. You don't hear about them talking about the sovereignty of God and the election of his people. You don't hear about it. We want to talk about blessings and gifts and wonders because we like that. We like that. Give us more of that, or we'll go down the street. We'll start a new church if we have to. We want that. So, beloved, the first hallmark of a false teacher, they're always getting those dreams and those visions and those revelations. The second hallmark of a false teacher is that they reject authority. Verse 8, they reject authority. It's right there in the text. Obviously, they're, they're slick about it. We've talked about this two or three times. They don't come right out and flatly deny Scripture, but they'll give you a truth, a truth, a truth, a half-truth, a half-truth, a half-truth, and a lie. It's how they do it. And unless you know the Word of God, you're not quite sure what just happened. But really, what just happened, once you have a lie in the pulpit, what just happened is you have Satan in the pulpit. That's what just happened. That's what just happened. 
These guys don't ever preach verse by verse. They would never preach through Jude verse by verse. They would never do it. They can't do it. They can't do it. They won't do it. They prefer to cherry pick their verses out of context and twist them to the maximum degree possible. So God expects you to know the word. You can spot one of these guys a mile away, right? You can spot them a mile away. That third hallmark of a false teacher is that they revile angelic majesties. Verse 8. What does that mean? Well, obviously, the, we understand it from the example that we're given in verse 9. The archangel Michael had a dispute with Satan over the body of Moses. And what did Michael do? This powerful archangel, what did he do? He just said, the Lord rebuke you. <laughs> now, you got these guys on TV binding Satan. Right? I mean, you know what you're watching. When you see that kind of nonsense, you know what you are watching. The Lord rebuke you, says the archangel. 2 Peter 2.10 says, regarding false teachers, they do not tremble uh, when they revile angelic majesties. There's just this arrogance and this presumption, Right? So the obvious point here is, Michael is our example. The Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. But what do these false teachers and pseudo-clergy do? <laughs> You've seen these guys. They pronounce judgment on Satan and they bind Satan and they command Satan. Something clearly the Bible indicates we are not to engage in. These apostate teachers and clergy, they not only rebuke Satan with all of this amazing presumption, they instruct their followers to do the same. I've encountered this in Milan, right? These people who thought they could bind Satan. You know, you just take them to Jude. Hey, read the, read the text of Jude and let's talk. <laughs> That's not your job. I like what MacArthur says here. He says, the supreme illustration of how Christians are to deal with Satan and the demons are found in this, in this text. Believers are not to address them, but rather seek the Lord's intervening power against them. So just remember, the Lord rebuke you. You just remember that, you got all you need. If you were ever to encounter a demon... Verse 10, why do these false teachers and their followers revile angelic majesties? What, what does it say? They're, they're ignorant. They have no knowledge. Uh, 2 Peter 2.12 talks about that they revile where they have no knowledge. They're doing this out of ignorance. Uh, the false teachers and their followers are like unreasoning animals. It's in the text. Unreasoning animals who follow their natural instincts. Yes, verse 10, to their own Destruction. Verse 11. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, and for pay they have rushed headlong into the era of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Woe to them. We know what this means, right? Woe to them. Woe to them. What does that mean? Etern eternal conscious punishment. It means hell. It's the sentence of hell. Woe to them. It's the sentence of hell. That's what's being communicated here. Why Cain? What's this about? Remember what Cain did? He was doing his own thing over in Genesis 4. 
He just was freelancing. And you don't get to freelance with Yahweh. It's his way or the highway. You don't get to just make up stuff. You don't get to just reproach him anyway. You have to come through his son. Oh, you have to come through repentance. You have to come uh, through turning away from your sin, right? You have to humbly to come and, and, and prostrate yourself before the great creator God. You know, a polite prayer and a pat on the head and, and church membership is not going to get it done. We're talking about real repentance, right? We're talking about real repentance. That's what the Lord is always talking about. But, but Cain comes his own way, right? He's judged for it. He's judged for it. What about this, this, this error of Balaam? What is this? Why did, what error did he make? Oh, he was a prophet for hire. You pay me enough money, man. I'll tell you whatever you want to hear. It's pretty, it's pretty common these days. You know, that's one thing you don't have to worry about at Grace. Nobody's getting paid. Okay? We're not doing it for money. Nobody is getting paid. Balaam did it for a check. Regarding false teachers, the Holy Spirit says in 2 Peter 2, 2 and 3, In their sensuality, the way of the truth is maligned. In their greed, they exploit you with false words. It's one way to identify a false teacher. It will be in their life. It'll be in their sensuality and or it will be in their greed. I looked it up yesterday. Joyce Meyer's worth eight million. I'm not worth that. Osteen's worth 50 million. I'm not worth that either. Copeland is worth 750 million. It pays well. It pays really well. <laughs> but you know how it works. If you want to be rich too, you've got to give an offering to my ministry. It's a seed of faith. And if you give that seed of faith, then God will bless you like he's blessed me. It's just nonsense. Show me a text, brother. I won't even call him brother. Show me a text. Show me a text, please. Show me a text. And what is God saying here about Korah? Most of you are familiar with the story, number 16. What's he talking about here? Korah was a Levite. He was a cousin of Moses. He attacked Moses' authority. False teachers always attack the Word of God and the true preacher of God. Remember what happened to Korah. The ground opened up and swallowed him in his, his household. This is how God views it. This is how God views those who attack the truth and those who speak the truth. The scary thing here, and I mentioned it earlier, 15,000 went with him. 15,000 of Korah's followers went into the pit. 15,000. What's the point? The point is, the false teacher is not the only one that's damned. Those who are following him are damned. If they, hey, can a Christian, can a true Christian be deceived? Yes, but not for very long. Because he reads his Bible, he knows what it says, 
And sooner or later, he's going to hear that guy say something or that woman say something, and they're like, that's not right. That's not in the Bible. So can a true Christian be deceived? Yes, but not for very long. The false teacher takes his followers to hell with him. Let's finish up verse 12 and 13. These men are those who are hidden reefs. I love this. Is there anything more dangerous than a hidden reef? Listen to the, 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 the imagery here. It's so powerful. You heard Joe read it. These men are those who are hidden reefs in your love feast. When they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves, they are clouds without water. Beautiful picture. Carried along by winds. Autumn trees without fruit, another picture, doubly dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting upon uh, their own shame like foam, wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. I mean, the imagery here is very powerful. It's a very, very powerful. I was listening to MacArthur on this uh, yesterday. I went running and I was listening to MacArthur. I love what he, how he, how he how he categorizes these guys. He said, they are terrorists in the church. They are terrorists in the church. That's what they are. And they'll blow themselves up and take you with them. I thought the analogy was perfect. They are terrorists. And they want to take you out. They are minions of Satan. These hidden reefs, they're unseen, they're hazardous, they're perilous, they're lethal, they're dangerous. Clouds without water, there's no life-giving rain there, only dryness and drought and death. These autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead and uprooted. A true picture of spiritual famine and fruitlessness and barrenness and deadness. These wild waves of the sea generating only foam. A lot of sound and fury accomplishing nothing, resulting only in the debris of their shame. And these wandering stars, their aimless courses flaming out, coming to nothing. So here, here we go. I'm just going to summarize what we've looked at. This is the portrait of a false teacher. Here are the, here are the important points that I want to make. They're dreamers, giving more weight to their dreams than to the Word of God. They reject the authority of God's Word and thereby the Lordship of Christ. They presumptuously command, bind, and condemn fallen angelic beings. They are spiritually ignorant, operating in the flesh like unreasoning animals. They ignore God's word and his ways. They are engaged in pseudo-worship like Cain. They freelance. They do whatever comes into their goofy minds. And goofy people follow. Beloved, what was, you know, I like what MacArthur said. I was listening to him yesterday. I like what he said. The key verse, the key verse, the key verse in, in Jude, verse 3, what are you supposed to do? What do you, you call yourself a Christian. What are you supposed to do? What does it say? Contend what? Earnestly for the faith. That's your job. So you're the first one that's really equipped to see the false teacher. You know the word. You know the word because you know you're, you're commanded to contend for it. If you're going to contend for it, you have to know it. And you're the first one that recognizes that guy's false. That guy's false. That woman is false. That 
one that's false. You know it because you know the word. And you're dwelt by the Spirit of God, and He gives testimony that these guys are lying. These guys are in ministry for one reason. They do it for the money, like Balaam. They're not, they're not only destroyed, they take countless souls with them like Korah. Beloved, this is huge. You know, I, why preach through the book of Jude? Because the battle is on. We talked about this. The, it, the battle is raging. For every true church, there are probably ten false churches. And I'm talking about Catholicism, I'm talk, talking about Eastern Orthodox, and I'm talking about all the false strands of Protestantism. I'm convinced there may be one in ten. There's one in ten who will stand in the pulpit and preach it all. You know? Even if I'm off a little bit, maybe two in ten. Maybe two in ten. You got to look hard. You know, we had people, we had people in Milan that would drive from Switzerland because they couldn't find anybody to open the Bible and tell them the truth. These guys take millions to hell. It's what they do. They're propagating illusions and myths and always that good ear tickle. And here's the thing I want you to hear. Those who follow them, they are culpable, they are guilty, and they are responsible before God because if they're following a false teacher, they have not done Jude 3. They're not doing Jude 3. They're not Jude 1. They're not a slave of Christ. They don't know what he says. They don't know what he says. And in no sense of the word are they contending earnestly for the faith. The true believer, the true believer can't settle. We can't settle for denominationalism. <laughs> we can't settle for that. It's too small. Jim, are you a Baptist? Okay. But that's too small. I'm a Christian, man. I love Christ. I'm his disciple. I'm a slave. <laughs> the true Christian has tasted the awestruck wonder of God. And you can talk health, wealth, and prosperity till you fall over and we don't care. Man, I want to hear about God. Tell me about God. Tell me about the magnificent God who created me and the magnificent God who unbelievably has redeemed me through the shed blood of the Son. Tell me about Him. And tell me that I'm, I'm going to be with Him soon. And, and the glory and the praise and the majesty of God will blow up my soul forever. Right? This is what we're about. This is what we're about. Don't waste my time with your nonsense. I'm not interested in that. I want Yahweh. So I close with God's exhortation and promise for all of his people, Philippians 2, 12 and 13. And it's, you know, he puts it on you. <laughs> yeah, God is sovereign. But here's your job, right? Here's your job. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I, I would... Just hazard a guess that some of you sitting here are not doing that. 
You're not really working through the truth as God has commanded us to. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So we've got this sovereignty thing going on, and we've got this responsibility thing going on. He's calling you to it. I love, I love the way Piper talks about it. You've got to be the miracle, right? You've got to be the miracle. What is the, what is the new Christian? What is the, what is the believer? He's the miracle. He was dead, and he's not anymore. He's alive, and everybody around him sees it. He's alive. He's alive into the things of God. God exhorts us to be zealous in our pursuit and understanding of Him, to expend energy to know Him through His Word, and then to incarnate His Word. We are supposed to, you may want to just put it on your ceiling or on your wall. Jude 3. The alarm goes off. Oh, Jude 3, contend earnestly for the faith, right? Jude 3, <laughs> Jude 3, contend earnestly for the faith. And the implication of our text this morning is simply, you got to know the false teacher when you hear him or when you hear her. And you got to call him out. And you got to warn everybody. It's your job. That's what, that, that's, that's what the slave of Christ is left here to do. Sow the good seed of the truth. Call out the false teacher. Contend earnestly for the faith. It's not hard. Our job description is not hard. Sow the good seed. Right? Share the truth. Call out the liars. It's not hard. Let's pray together.